We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And with things always going on across the world and uh, looking at the civil government and the church government, the family governments, the three institutions that are ordained by God, our creator. Um, occasionally on the show, we like to kind of pull back and not talk about the specific uh, aspects of policy and world events and national events, but focus on what it means to live as a Christian in this moment. And I can think of no one better uh, to discuss this with me today and this morning than our good friend and AFR radio host, Alex McFarland, who all of you know from Exploring the Word. And um, Alex, thanks so much for joining me. I know you have filled in uh, a few times for me. I've, I've been blessed to be on your show, and I'm so grateful. Um, for your friendship and um, for the opportunity to talk about a Christian apologetic of uh, politics. And I think this is something that we don't often talk about in uh, when we're talking about the biblical worldview. We tend to talk about theology. We tend to talk about knowing God and truth, um, but then kind of say, well, how do we live as a Christian and, and intersect with politics instead of talking about more broadly the Christian apologetic of civil government. So thanks so much uh, for joining me today. Well, Jenna, thank you for having me. It's a great honor. I have, I have such respect for you and the way that you think and the way that you communicate. Um, I, I know you give God the glory, and we, we give God the glory, but you, you're a brilliant thinker, and I really count it an honor to listen to your program and a double honor to be on it sometimes. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That's um, very kind and really means a lot to me, um, especially this year and with everything else going on um, in my life and, and moving forward um, in my life. That that sincerely means a lot to me, and, and I know it does to our AFR family as well. And, um, you know, this really kind of harkens back to um, when I wrote my book, The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution that you and I have talked about um, before, yeah. and, and the idea of educating Christians, and, and this is um, really where my heart for ministry originated, was um, to have that kind of thinking and analysis of a biblical worldview and to continue that here on AFR um, with people like you and to bring insights um, to our, our audience and our listeners and our families uh, here at AFR daily um, is just a joy and it's truly a ministry. And and I know that you share that and you're an advocate for uh, Christian apologetics. And 
worldview is so essential, Alex. And so why do you think it is um, that when we talk about politics, we, and I'm generalizing, um, but we tend to, as Christians, kind of take off or set aside our faith and put on more of a uh, one of the two parties hats and say, well, in the political arena, I identify more as a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative versus a liberal um, and and not really understand that the biblical worldview genuinely is the foundation and the basis for everything that we do in our Christian life, including our involvement in and analyzing civil government. Uh, yeah, it, it, this is so important. It, it really is vital that you're speaking about this, Jenna, because the, the Christian worldview touches, or at least it should touch, every area of our life. And in in American Christianity, and I, look, I love the Church, I love America, um, but so much of the, the Christian message in the United States for really the last century has been that the full extent of the gospel is that uh, Jesus died for my sins, and I put my faith in Jesus, and one day I'll die and go to heaven. Now, that's true. Uh, To go to heaven, one must put their faith in Jesus. Um, And of course, that is the the greatest news. The good news is the gospel. But the the gospel is, is really so much more than than just salvation, important as that is, because not only do we have a home in heaven one day when we leave this world through the Lord Jesus, but we here, uh, until we get to heaven, as um, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.20, that we are Christ's ambassadors. And whether it's in the workplace, in the home, uh, in the classroom, certainly in the courtroom and in the judiciary, the, the the truth of Jesus and the sovereignty of Almighty God must shape and inform all that we do. And so, uh, Jenna, um, a lot of people listening, they may be familiar with, uh, like back in 1925, a century ago, there was the Scopes trial in Tennessee. And in the aftermath of the Scopes trial, there were two attorneys. One was William Jennings Bryan, a Christian. The other was Clarence Darrow a vehement non-Christian. A lot of people don't realize that Clarence Darrow was kind of BFFs with the big big publishing guy of the time, H.L. Mencken of the Baltimore Sun. And really, H.L. Mencken uh, and Clarence Darrow saw the Scopes trial, and it was was a, a trial about the teaching of Darwinian evolution in the public school. They saw it as an opportunity to really try to demonize Christianity and make secularism the more dominant worldview. Um, And in a way, they were successful. But in the aftermath of the Scopes trial, where William Jennings Bryan, he had not tried a case in 10 years. He was old, the sweltering heat of the uh, Tennessee mountains. It was Dayton, Tennessee. And it it was pretty amazing. A million people during the summer of 1925, they estimate a million people came to Dayton, Tennessee, and uh, one week after the, the trial, William Jennings Bryan died of a heart attack. He, he really was bested in the public square, and two things happened. One, militant secularism and secular journalism aggressively seized the moment, 
And due to the influence of this publishing kingmaker, H.L. Mencken, uh, journalists became more and more and more secular. And this, at this point now, we're at the point where journalism is just barely even believable. But the other thing that happened was that the church, to a large degree, retreated from the public square. And later on, Francis Schaeffer, the Christian thinker, would call it the great evangelical disaster, that we abdicated politics and entertainment and education. And and there might have been the thought, well-intentioned but misguided, Jenna, that, uh, oh, well, we don't need it, we'll back away from public engagement, and we'll just have our own Christendom over here. But what happened was that the church grew weaker and in, ineffective, and the world grew bolder. And so to a large degree, I'm with you. We, we must be in government. We must be in the public square. But we don't really quite have home turf advantage anymore. And the reason I belabor this point is I wanted to give people a little bit of context, because I think this is a big part of understanding how we got where we are. It is. And that history is so important. I'm speaking with Alex McFarland, who, of course, is the co-host here on AFR of Exploring the Word and an advocate for Christian apologetics, a public speaker, author, educator, uh, so much more. And and the history of how we got here is so important because especially young people today, and, and I'm speaking, you know, maybe my generation of millennials and younger, um, just presume that this really secular idea of a separation of church and state um, is the founding of America and is how is it, it always was. And we have to understand history to know where we are at in the chronology of our moment so that we can understand the times, as um, a lot of the, the worldview scholars or Francis Schaeffer would have put it as well, and, and then understand not only where we have come from, but how we can correct course on the way toward where we're going. And for the Christian, where we are going in eternity is to spend eternity with uh, Christ our Savior. And and we should be focused primarily and foundationally on fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, but in that work, and as an aspect of being able to share our faith and to continue to live daily as a Christian, we need to be concerned about the civil government and the family government, not just the church. And so when we look back at that history that you um, so eloquently presented, we need to understand the lie, really, of, of a, and the myth of a separation of church and state, of, of excising God from the public square and from politics, to understand how we can reintegrate our faith. Because it's not just uh, for the Christian um, engaging our faith on issues that are obvious, like maybe free exercise of religion or uh, pro-life issues. I mean, literally every aspect of how civil government functions and the worldview of our elected officers uh, it can be either based in truth and a biblical worldview, or it can be based in something else that's either a perversion or an outright lie. And so for the Christian, um, I, I think we need to start there and understand how we build a worldview and how that informs our politics. Oh, great question. Oh, Jenna, this is, this is so vital that we're talking about these things, 
because um, one's worldview is really the the way that we look at life and reality and the the lens through which we see things like uh, morality, right and wrong. Um, the what does it mean to be a human being? Um, and of of course, God and salvation and uh, you know our relationship with the Lord, but even things like marriage and uh, childbearing. And then, of course, that all-important topic of, of human rights. Now, let me let me show you how some dominoes fall, because um, as the great thinker R.C. Sproul, and we, we interviewed R.C. Sproul, he's in heaven now, but uh, R.C. Sproul was a brilliant uh, thinker, and he would, he would say, ideas have consequences, and they really do. Mm-hmm. Now, think about this. Jenna, um, even as you and I are broadcasting, all around the world, there are op-eds and uh, publishing pieces about Israel and this war with Hamas. Uh, in the London Times and in um, newspapers here in America, uh, writers are waxing eloquent, telling Israel to stop fighting. That e- even though it was Israel that was attacked, even though Israel had been in their land 2,500 years before the birth of Muhammad and the start of Islam, I mean, by historical precedent, by divine right, by even the most casual observance, the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. And yet, all around the world, pundits, commentators, academics, elected officials are saying that Israel is the problem. See, this war would just be over if Israel would do the world a courtesy and and just die. And there, there's one writer in uh, Britain that's got an op-ed piece today saying that the world would be better, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, if, if there were no state of Israel. Well, anyway, here's my point. I want to make a connection between how one idea, one bad idea, begets another idea. Okay, you, you and I have talked about this. One of the reasons I appreciate you so much as as a, a legal voice is that you understand the philosophical foundation of the Constitution is natural law. And let's just call that moral truth, that written on the heart and the, the awareness of all people is an awareness of right and wrong. Now, Jefferson called that self-evident truth. And over and over, George Washington, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, the, the founders talked about the law of God written on the heart. Okay, one of the natural rights that comes out of natural law is the right to self-defense. And here's my point. We've spent 50 years denying the unborn the right to, to life. And now... We say that people don't have the right to self-defense. Israel doesn't have the right to defend itself. So the loss of one right begets the loss of other rights. The loss of rights And we're going to take a break now right we- here, um, Alex McFarland, and then we're going to come right back with more talking about natural rights and the biblical worldview of politics right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
We want to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say freedom? CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back, and I'm speaking with Alex McFarland, who is the co-host of Exploring the Word right here on AFR Radio, and he is also a public speaker, an author, an educator, an advocate for Christian apologetics. Um, Most of you have probably read a lot of his books, and we are talking today about the Biblical Worldview Foundation and understanding of the biblical truth as applied to civil government and why this is so important for the Christian to not believe in the myth of a separation of church and state or that we can only exercise our faith and our understanding of truth within the four walls of the church or within our own homes, but why we necessarily must build our political philosophy and understanding of civil government based on truth and a biblical worldview and an understanding of God, our creator. So before the break, Alex, you were talking about um, the American system of government being founded on and predicated on a recognition of natural rights and how the right to life is the first of those rights, but how all of these natural rights must be protected and our founding, our Judeo-Christian heritage recognizes that. Yeah, exactly. And, and Jenna, again, I want to say thank you for making time to discuss such such important things. You know, um, Thomas Jefferson, who is kind of, you know, whenever I speak at secular campuses, you know, people like to say that Jefferson was an atheist or something, which is absolutely false. But uh, Thomas Jefferson is kind of like very often set forth as the poster child for the idea of separation of church and state. And yet in 1781, uh, in his writings, the notes on the state of Virginia, Jefferson said that um, our liberties are not secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of people that our liberties are the gift of God. And great leaders throughout history, Dwight Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, Chief Justice Earl Warren of the famed uh, you know, Warren Commission, um, over and over, uh, up through uh, recent years, even Bill Clinton in uh, 1993, where Bill Clinton was dedicating a post office in Virginia, he gave a speech and said that our rights come not from the government, but from God. Bill Clinton, who I'm, I'm sure neither he nor Hillary would probably say this today, but 
the role of government is not to give you rights, but to guard the rights that you have from God. Now, here's my point. The first most fundamental right is the right to life. Um, the, the, the rights of liberty and the pursuit of happiness mean nothing if they're not first predicated on the right to life. And here's my point. Um, we have had in most American states what's called the castle doctrine, uh, that your home is your castle, and you have the right to self-defense. Somebody breaks in, uh, they're going to harm your family, they're going to steal your stuff, they're going to kill you. you. You have the right to stand your ground and defend your home. But here's my point. Just like Israel is being castigated for exerting self-defense at the intrusion of Hamas, well, uh, the, the, the idea that there is no inherent right to life has really been, crept outward in that we really tacitly don't have a guaranteed right to self-defense. You know, and uh, so back to the question of worldview in the church, and Jenna, I, I really, I see no real hope for good teaching and the refutation of bad teaching, except for the Church of Jesus Christ. And and just like in the Middle Ages, where um, really in terms of literacy and critical thinking, and truth, and education, not to mention the proclamation of the gospel. Um, In the dark periods of history, it has been the Christian church and Christian families that have been the the enclaves of the defense of truth. And I think we're to that point again. That's why I I really, and I'm I'm only speaking for myself here, Jenna, I'm only speaking for Alex, but I implore, I beg families to get your children in Christian education, homeschooling, classical education, because we backed away from the public square over the last 75 to 100 years. Um, Liberalism, secularism, atheism, now really Marxism, wokeism, you know, insert the ism of your choice— those things have aggressively come in to the vacuum created by the absence of the voice of the church. And uh, uh, America yeah, can be so saved. True. It's it's a God-sized job, but um, we're, we're rolling a boulder up a hill these days, really. Would you agree? Absolutely, 100%. And even in the church and in Christian or so-called Christian education, Um, The worldview framework is a giant missing piece, and I would encourage um, all of the families that do homeschool or if your children are in a Christian school, make sure that they are teaching worldviews, they're teaching history, um, they're teaching about the, the proper foundation of a civil government and and civics. And if you are homeschooling, I mean, this is one of the greatest gifts, Alex, that my parents gave me um, through homeschooling was, was an understanding of worldview philosophy. We went through um, the curriculum of, of worldviews of the Western world um, through a lot of those apologetics books. You, you mentioned Francis Schaeffer. I mean, I read the Christian Manifesto in high school um, and some of his other, uh, his other writings and had the philosophical component, but then also coupled with an understanding of world history chronologically and how that mm-hmm. lines up 
with the historical account of world history in scripture. All of those things are necessary components to understanding the times and understanding how to engage as Christians in civil government and in uh, the the civil arena and in the public square. And so when you're talking about, um, you know, engaging some of these things, um, th- what I see a lot of students, and, and I used to teach at Colorado Christian University and a great school, oh, yeah. um, love that school and, and love the leadership there. Um, you know, so grateful to still be a, a fellow at their Centennial Institute. And even among Christian students um, that I engaged with there, had in, you know, my own classes, um, a lot of them had were very sincere Christians, but what I saw was kind of this smorgasbord or buffet-style worldview, where I have my Christian faith over, you know, in this little corner of my plate, and then I have my political analysis, then I have my, uh, you know, what I do in. Um, for entertainment, what I think about that, what I think about the um, f- for the philosophies of um, you know healthcare, some of those things, what I think about relationships, and all of it was very compartmentalized and fragmented. Yeah. It wasn't a cohesive plate, right? And I think that's what you're speaking to when you are employ- imploring, and I would agree with this, and also implore uh, parents who are listening to make sure that your children have those three components, a thorough knowledge of scripture, a thorough knowledge of world history, and a thorough knowledge of worldview philosophies. What is behind understanding our culture? Why did America come out of um, the the Enlightenment and the Reformation? And, you know, some of these really important historical events, because Alex, when you alluded to, for example, um, you know, Brown versus Board of Education and, you know, some of yeah. these other um, Supreme Court cases, those things have impacted and shaped our culture. And if we don't know what happened before, we won't know why we're here where we are and also how to fix where we're going. And so when we look at an analysis and, and a Christian apologetic, how important is it to understand what the Bible teaches about literally every subject matter, including civil government? Oh, great. A- amen. I mean, it's, it's imperative. It really is, because Scripture is our, our source for truth. I mean, the Word of God, um, you know, it's, it's like Harry Truman said in 1950, that uh, Harry Truman was giving a speech uh, in February of 1950, and he said, quote, the fundamental basis of this nation's laws was given to Moses on the Mount. Okay, that's a reference to the Ten Commandments. And if you go, you know, to Washington, go to the Capitol, you know, right off of the the rotunda of the Capitol is a courtroom, and the doors are these two very large, like seven feet tall uh, facsimiles of the Ten Commandments. So, so Truman, and I mean, I literally could cite five dozen major American leaders, but Truman said, okay, first of all, the basis of our laws was Moses and the Ten Commandments. The basis of our Bill of Rights comes from Exodus, Matthew, Isaiah, and Paul. And Harry Truman, and again, just one of dozens I could quote, but he said, if we don't have a fundamental proper understanding of the scriptural basis for our laws and government, we, listen to this, quote, we will finally end up with a totalitarian government which believes in the rights of no one except for the state. 
And that's really true. And what Jenna, does that that's sound what like? I said to atheists. <laughs> Uh, like yeah. I debated Mikey Mikey Weinstein, who has just worked endlessly to get um, the the Christian rights of Air Force Academy cadets, you know, erased. But I said, look, even the atheists have a vested interest in the preservation of the Christian and biblical uh, foundation of our government. Because look, even if you don't believe in Jesus. Um, the atheist, the secularist, still benefits from a society and a government that recognizes the worth and the value and the rights of all people. And and so so what I say when I'm at universities, uh, I'll say, look, if, if you don't want to be a Christian, you don't have to be a Christian. I'm sad for you, concerned for your soul, but if you don't want to be a Christian, you, you don't have to be a Christian. But what we can't let you do is tear down the foundation, the Judeo-Christian Declaration, Constitution, Bill of Rights. We can't let you tear down the foundation that allows you to safely, prosperously walk around as a non-believer. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so even the secularist benefits from a government that was based on the Bible and Christianity. So I, I beg my fellow pastors out there, uh, Christian leaders, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, I beg of you, start educating people of all ages on the fact, listen to this, if you want what we have had, and what we've had for two and a half centuries has been liberty, stability, prosperity. If you want to preserve that, then we're going to have to tell a brand new generation of people that the the safeguard against anarchy and totalitarianism, the one force that can hold back this juggernaut of statism is Christianity. Mm. Uh, so well said. Um, I'm speaking with Alex McFarland, who is the co-host here at AFR of Exploring the Word. And um, you, you mentioned about how um, atheists suggest that we don't need Christianity in politics. And in fact, there are many people, I think I think everyone other than the Christians uh, really say, well, why are you always pushing your faith and your values and your beliefs on us? You know, go to church and, you know, maybe we'll let you, um, if, if you're lucky, <laughs> preach what you want to yeah. in the, the four corners and the four walls of your church. But what they fail to recognize is that the Christian worldview is the only internally consistent view that recognizes the inherent dignity and rights of human beings without stratification or classification because every other worldview has some kind of hierarchy whether that's based on race whether it's based on gender whether it's based on age whether it's based on supposed value and contribution to society whatever the metric is any other worldview or paradigm will have a hierarchy of assigned arbitrary value to different human beings and necessarily infringe on the rights of the lesser if uh, other than the Christian worldview. And I've heard atheists, um, Alex, suggest that, well, we can have morality without God. I mean, do you really think that I would, for example, as an atheist, you know, promote rape and murder? And, and, and my question to them is, well, where do you derive that morality then? And why would you say right. that anything is wrong if you don't have a God who created and who is a divine moral lawgiver? 
There's no answer to that. Well, well, it's like um, our removal of legal protection for the unborn. Now, as I said earlier, people are saying, well, Israel shouldn't have the right to self-defense. Homeowners during the BLM riots don't have the right to self-defense. It becomes a might-makes-right ethic. I mean, if we don't have this objective, and like you say, this consistent, you know, all human beings have worth and value and dignity by virtue of the fact they're they're made in God's image. They're sinners for whom Christ died. Uh, You're right. Only Christianity has this unequivocal, consistently applied view of human worth and human rights. And if we go in any other direction, whether it's pragmatism or whether it's um, just this relativism or social justice, wokeism, critical theory, and all of its um, you know, delusional permutations— there's always this qualified view. It's like in Orwell's Animal Farm. Uh, there's this line that says all the animals are created equal, but some are more equal than others. There's always going to <laughs> right. be this elite versus proletariat. And so if you like what we've had, liberty, stability, prosperity, then you have to tolerate what gave us that. And what gave us that was a Christian worldview. Absolutely, as opposed to Marxism and this whole critical theory that would suggest that there is always an oppressor and oppressed and that type of stratification, which is what we see in culture in various permutations right now. So I'm speaking with Alex McFarland, um, who is the co-host of Exploring the Word right here on AFR. And we will be back with more uh, with Alex in just a moment here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. According to a recent study of hundreds of post-abortive women, 60% of women reported that they would have preferred to give birth if they had received more support from others or had more financial security. And that's where Preborn steps in. Preborn is there for women in their darkest hour, deciding between the life and death of their precious child. You see, the reality is women are being pressured to make this fatal decision and are being told that their babies are just clumps of cells. Preborn welcomes women with God's love and introduces them to the beautiful life growing inside of them, which doubles their baby's chance at life. When you support preborn, you are not only supporting women, you empower them. Your donation of $28 will help a woman make a choice that she won't have to regret for the rest of her life and gives her the ultimate blessing, life. Your love can save a life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back, and we are taking it today to uh, have kind of a broader perspective of why Christians must, not should, but must engage in every aspect of our society and our body politic, which is engaging with each other, and uh, politics is defined uh, really as truth 
in the public square truth and community, as my pastor would say. And I'm speaking with Alex McFarland, who is the co-host of Exploring the Word right here on American Family Radio. And he is also a public speaker, author, educator, and advocate for Christian apologetics. And um, so let's let's take this um, even further than Alex. You know, we're talking about the foundation of uh, truth being the standard and the basis of morality and the philosophy of everything that a Christian should advocate for. And we do need to understand this because um, you mentioned the right to life being foundational. And one of the things that I learned through law school that um, was really fascinating to me, actually, is that American law, and you and I have talked about this before, um, American law in property law actually recognizes property rights for yet unborn humans, unborn children, and even yet unconceived humans. So for example, if my parents, um, who are who are still living, have three children, my brothers and me, the law still contemplates that we are only heirs apparent in my parents' will, um, that there may be, whether through adoption or natural birth, um, what the law refers to as the fertile octogenarian, but saying that it is possible that there could be at some point another child born of um, the union or born to the, the parents um, in question and the person who is the, uh, the designator of their will. And the law protects the rights and the property rights to inherit of even yet unconceived and unborn children, how much more then should the law and must the law protect the right to life? Because without life, we have no ability to exercise any of our other rights. And that to me is, is an argument that we never make in the in the context of the pro-life argument or understanding how we have to and we must apply the Christian worldview to law and politics. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, and you're right that that people really don't make that argument, and and they should. You know, uh, th- there are several of these um, in- incredible uh, affirming principles like that, like you say, the the uh, rights of the heirs and heirs apparent, because a, a Judeo Christian worldview. And a natural law worldview recognizes personhood, and life begins at conception. Even uh, my friend, and he was a friend, the late atheist Christopher Hitchens, who uh, he died, I believe it was in 2012, sadly. Uh, and I, I emailed uh, Hitchens up until you know just days before his passing, and was assuring him of my prayers. But um, even Christopher Hitchens, who, by the way, he was an atheist, but he, he wrote a, a, a pretty good biography of Jefferson, the author of America. And in the opening pages, Christopher Hitchens, uh, I debated him, I interviewed him, I knew him. Hitchens said Thomas Jefferson uh, was a Christian. Now, the degree to which we're not completely sure. I, uh, but anyway, here, here's my point. So many people want to paint Jefferson as an atheist and America as not at all Judeo-Christian. And even one of the preeminent atheistic writers of the last 30 years uh, would say otherwise. But um, Hitchens was once asked in a debate if he was opposed to abortion and was a member of the pro-life movement. 
And and here's the thing. Hitchens even said that um, if, and I quote, if the concept child means anything, the concept of unborn child also means something. And here's what Hitchens said, that um, all of this, the discoveries of embryology and viability, very considerable uh, discoveries, show that uh, life begins at conception. And he goes on, he says, in order to terminate a pregnancy, you're terminating a heartbeat, switching off a developing brain, breaking bones, rupturing organs, and he and much to the consternation of his fellow atheists, though, he said that uh, life must begin at conception, and that uh, developing child is a person, and as such is entitled to all the rights protected by any other person. And, and part of the reason wow. I say this, Jenna, is because that um, if we quote the Bible, Genesis 127, male and female made in the image of God, and that's absolutely true, and I absolutely believe the Bible. However, if we lead out with a scriptural argument, right away uh, an unbelieving world will say, oh, that's the Bible. Um, I think we can defend the pro-life position, and I think we can defend the objective moral nature of our government constitution based on other things. Now, we can get to the Bible, but just for the purposes of trying to influence our neighbor who may be vehemently opposed to the Bible, uh, I don't always think it's wise to lead out with Scripture. Now, if I'm trying to lead somebody to Jesus— I fully agree with you on that. You see what I'm saying? And and a lot of my Absolutely. pastor friends, they're they're like, well, I just tell them the Bible says. And I'm like, well, you know, if I'm trying to lead somebody to salvation, of course I'm going straight to the Bible. But if I'm just trying to get them open to the idea that we shouldn't erase God from the public discussion, if I'm just trying to get them open to the idea that there should be legal protection for the unborn, and... Uh, life in every context is um, worthy of constitutional protection, um, then I'm not going to lead with the Bible. I'm going to lead with other lines of argumentation. Yeah, and and this makes so much... Right, this makes so much sense. And um, thinking back just to the the Dobbs case and that oral argument, um, for example, it would have been... Um, unfortunately, frankly, irrelevant for the advocate um, to overturning Roe versus Wade to come in and say, well, justice is the Bible says X. They're going to say, well, show me where it says that in American law and why, uh, what, what is your argument based on jurisprudence and all of the parameters of, of the case at bar and in question. And so we have to realize our audience and what uh, the appeal that we make in what forum, even to some of our fellow friends, because we see as Christians um, the truth that the Bible is a source of authority and is the source of authority, but we can still make the arguments for pro-life from the laws of nature because they come from the laws of God as well. Everything that is true in our physical 
and moral parameters in our universe, we know come from God. So they're not going to be inconsistent with biblical truth anyway. So when the left is trying to suggest, or you know, anyone who is, is pro-choice, just for example, is trying to suggest, well, we can manipulate ourselves into a pretzel and try to decouple this idea of um, human being from personhood. And personhood attaches sometime later. And you know, you're not really a uh, you don't have all rights until you become a person or you know, all of those things are totally arbitrary. And we can argue that with principles right. of logic and of science and of the laws of nature. Um, but this is why we need to understand as Christians what the biblical worldview is so that we can combat the false ideas of the secular left and we can identify them and we can spot them as false instead of saying, for example, oh, well, it would it might make sense to have, um, you know, a straight democracy, for example. Well, why do we have principles of represent representative government and, and not just mob will? Uh, you know, all of these things go back to Alex McFarland having a substantive biblical worldview so that we can apply the truth of theology and the knowledge of God into our society. So I, I, I just think that the point here is that we need to not just be as Christians substantively well-versed in scripture and in theology. Absolutely. That is paramount. That is the fulcrum, the cornerstone. And then building onto that, we must take that truth and understand how to apply it to the issues of our day and to civil government and to the public square. Otherwise we have bought into this myth of a separation of our faith versus secular society. You, you, you said it so wonderfully. I mean, th- that's true, and it, it really gets back to, um, you know, how our conversation began about worldview, um, because, uh, well, I could, I'm just trying to think about uh, who I would like to quote. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis, by the way, he wrote a book in 1943 called The Abolition of Man. And he basically said, if we abolish morality, we're going to really abolish the human race. And in The Abolition of Man, he quotes from everything, you know, from the Ten Commandments to, you know, the the Code of Hammurabi and throughout all the great societies of history that had this idea that there's an objective standard of right and wrong. Nobody, Nobody invented it. We, we discovered it. It's in our conscience. It's written on our heart. Um, the, the Word of God validates it, but there's this objective knowledge of right and wrong. And a couple of things that Lewis said, he said, you know, we, we condemn valor and virtue, and then we are shocked to find traitors in our midst. And he, you know, this is 70 years ago, but Lewis was, well, 80 years ago, actually. Lewis was very prophetic in that if we abolish morals and the idea of accountability to the, the great lawgiver, then we're going to abolish the human race. The other thing he said in challenging Christians, because if anybody is going to care about truth, care about right versus wrong, care truly about order and justice and righteousness, it's going to be the Christians. And Lewis said this, he said, um, to be silent now 
would be tantamount to throwing down our weapons and leaving the world at the as victims of the intellectual and physical attacks of the heathen. And here's the, the money quote. Lewis said, good philosophy must exist if for no other reason, because bad philosophy must be answered. And then he said this challenge, and Jenna, 30 years ago I read this, and it motivates me to this day. And look, I'm just a, a flunky from a chicken farm. I had to go to summer school to graduate high school. I uh, never dreamed that I would spend my adult life in research, writing, and academia. But here's what C.S. Lewis said. Good philosophy must exist, if for no other reason, because bad philosophy must be answered. The learned life is then, for some, a duty. Mm. And, Jenna, when I read quotes like that, when I read Mortimer Adler, one of the most brilliant historians and scholars, editor of the Encyclopedia Britannica. He became a Christian before he died. He was friends with my mentor in grad school, Norm Geisler. But Adler, 50 years ago, challenged his fellow academics. He said, we must now live at the heights of our times. In other words, to the best of our ability, live, role model, proclaim, and spread truth. To everyone that might hear this this conversation you and I are having, um, we we have a window of opportunity, and we really have an obligation before Almighty God to become champions for truth. And frankly, Jenna, I think the future of our nation depends on it. Yeah, that that is such an important challenge, uh, Alex, and and I think that it flies in the face of what the modern church is telling Christians, which is that we should just have a passion and an emotion for God, but not be substantively well-versed in the knowledge of God. And that is actually very dangerous because then the people who are only emotionally attached to Christianity, but don't understand the fundamental truth of um, of theology and, and don't know the person of God and are learned in a knowledge of truth, then are easily led astray and, and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. How can you rightly divide a truth versus error if you don't know truth and therefore you can't recognize error? And so that that is one of the, um, actually the seminal quotes, and I love C.S. Lewis, that has always prompted me as well to continue to learn more and to engage and to have an ever-increasing awareness, not just what's going on in civil government and in our world and in our nation and in our culture, but to be able to properly take the Christian worldview, the knowledge of truth, to apply it so that we can be the best ambassadors for Christ possible. So Alex McFarlane, already out of time. I'll have to have you back soon to continue this important conversation. Uh, Thank you so much. And you can listen to Alex on Exploring the Word right here on AFR. You can always reach me and my team at Jenna at AFR.net. Make sure that you are daily in the Word of God and we can rightly divide truth from error and be engaged good citizens to change our culture. I want to
want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org AFR. That's chministries.org AFR.